Today's text is in Hosea, chapter 7, verse 1 through 2, and 13 through 16. It's in the Old Testament. Please read along in your Bible, Bible app, or turn to page 754 in the Bible that's in front of you in the little chair rail. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, and the evil deeds of Samaria. For they deal falsely, the thieves break in, and the bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them, they are before my face. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me, destruction to them for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from their heart, but they wail upon their beds for grain and wine, and they gash themselves. They rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They're like a treacherous bow, their princes shall fall by the sword. Because of the insolence of their tongue, this shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Thanks, Lori. How are you guys doing this evening? It's really good to be back here. Uh, my wife and I were in uh, Northwoods, Wisconsin, with our family, and we had such a sweet time. We were on vacation, and um, yeah, we played on the water. We got bit by mosquitoes, covered ourselves in deets so we would get less bites, but we just had such a sweet time, and we're also really, really glad to be back. It's so sweet to be worshiping the Lord with you this evening. We're back in the book of Hosea, um, this odd book <laughs> with lots of, lots of terms written over uh, 2,700 years ago about, um, and yet these words have such power for us today, and we're going we're gonna to see, we're going to see God, we're going to see Christ in them. Um, this book, Hosea, is written to a people who have become adulterous. We've been seeing this week after week. Yahweh compares them to a bride who has strayed from her husband, and then uh, Hosea, he is actually called to live this out before the people. Live it, live it out by taking a promiscuous woman, Gomer, who would run away from him, commit adultery against him. He would be calling back, buying back. This is the story of Hosea. And now we've, we've gotten into the second half of the book, and each week we've identified themes of accusation. This week we're looking at sin's relational aspect. And it's important to remember that when we're looking at all these accusations, when we're seeing all these, these words of judgment, it is not just gloom and doom only, but this, this is an impassioned plea from Yahweh to his people. This is an impassioned plea of a husband to a bride, come back to me, come back to me. That's what this book is all about. We've been singing these, these words about uh, sin breaking uh, our relationship with God have mercy on me. We're going to be getting into that today. Um, what is it, guys? What is it about sin that causes so much shame? 
uh, I think all of us have probably experienced this before. There's, there's, a, there's a brokenness that, that results between husband and wife or with, between friends when you offend another, when you sin against another. Maybe you feel this acutely today. Maybe you sinned against God and you feel that brokenness. You, you feel that shame. When I was a preteen, I was hanging out in the basement uh, of my house with some friends. I was maybe the oldest of the, the crew. And uh, I was leading a discussion about some adult matters that I, I knew I should, shouldn't be discussing. And uh, then I heard those infamous words from my dad at the top of the stairs. Hey, Daniel, can you come here for a minute? Uh, heart sank. I knew him. I'm caught. He heard me. What did I do? I wanted to hide, right? Like I wanted to run far away from my dad. I didn't want anything to do with him. In fact, I wanted to implode. Um, came back downstairs a few minutes later with a sore tush, and uh, <laughs> um, well, I wasn't that cool any longer <laughs> with my friends. Um, but thankfully, my dad disciplined me, showed me there were consequences for sin. Even still, I got away with a lot of things. And eventually I started to think that I was pretty good at hiding. Hiding from my dad. Hiding from my mom. Hiding from God. The reason we hide in shame is because sin is relational. It's personal. It's against someone. Every time we sin, whether against spouse or friend or whoever, against God, it's, it's against a person, and it breaks relationship. It, it steals intimacy. Today's main point is this. All sin, all sin is personally against God. But God is able to forget your sin in Christ. Let's get into the text. Um, first point to illustrate these, these points is that God remembers your sin. Let's read verses 1 and 2. I'm going to open up my old-fashioned paper Bible. Feel free to do that. Otherwise, it's up on the screen here. Thanks, Lori, for reading. Hosea chapter one or 7, verses 1 and 2. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief breaks in, and the bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. I just need to pray. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you've called me to preach this word today. I'm just a mouthpiece, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Speak now. We've all been asking it. We ask again. Work through me. Speak through me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first verses, we find in the midst of all these accusations a, a hint of mercy. We find a hint of mercy. The section starts with generosity rather than judgment. Most modern English translations interpret verse 1 to say something like, I'm ready to heal you, but I can't because you refuse to come to me. But it's kind of an awkward 
chapter break right here, honestly. And, and this is not the first, you know, you guys are not going to be able to see it when you just look at it. But when, if you read any commentator, they're going to say, actually, the verse, chapter 6, verse 11b should go with chapter 7, verse 1. It should probably be translated to say something like, when I restore the fortunes of my people, when I heal Israel, future, the Hebrews' future there, the sins of Ephraim will be exposed and the crimes of Samaria revealed. This verse is making a statement about what God sees and knows. Verse 13 will get at that lament, but this is more of a promise. There's coming a day when I'm going to reveal and expose all of your sin, Israel. Secondly, it, it can be kind of confusing when we see all these names, Ephraim, Samaria, Israel. Who are these people? They're, it's just simply northern kingdom of Israel. There's a southern and a northern kingdom. They split after Solomon, and this accusation against, is against the northern kingdom. And as we move forward, you see there's this list of sins that we've, we've seen before. There's a breaking of the Ten Commandments. Last sermon I preached uh, in chapter 4, we see almost identical sort of language. There's all this sin throughout the land, and it's breaking the people. It's hurting the people. It says they do not, or now their deeds surround, nope, that's not the right spot. It says, they deal falsely. The thieves break in, and the bandits raid outside. There's this evil happening all throughout Israel. Doesn't sound much different than our experience, does it? <laughs> See it all around. You don't have to walk very far down lake to see some pretty ugly stuff. But Israel's lack of remorse, it says something very different. It, it, it suggests that God doesn't see. In verse 2 it says, They do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. This is interesting language, but this is a powerful statement. A scary statement. Instead of, instead of showing shame here for all the sin that has wreaked havoc on the world, Israel stands before God and believes that God doesn't see. But Yahweh says, I see it all. I remember it all. Nothing is hidden at all. In fact, your deeds surround you. They're before my face always. He even keeps record of them. There's no escaping sin right here. He says, it is before my face. It is though they're standing right before Yahweh and they think it's all hidden, he can't see, and he's like, look, you're right before me. I see every act. Psalm 90 verse 8 says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. This means that there is 
nowhere Israel can turn to escape God's gaze. There is nowhere that we can turn to escape God's presence. He sees. He sees all. He sees all. When God looks at Israel, all he sees is their former adultery. All he can see is sin. It's like they're wearing a garment that just is dunked in evil. They can't escape it. Have you guys ever seen something so startling that it just, you can't get it out of your head? Maybe it's a baby born. That's a happy sight uh, and scary. <laughs> but uh, maybe a fist fight, maybe a car crash. But it's, it's just stuck there. I, I think that this is kind of a similar thing. When, when Yahweh looks at Israel, even if they're worshiping in the temple, even if they're making sacrifice before him, they're taking his name on their lips, all he sees is their adulterous acts. All he sees is their sin. Guys, if you, if you think that God forgets your sin if you think that it's his job to just forgive, think again. It's not that simple. God sees your sin, and sin has consequences. The Bible teaches us that God keeps a record of all our sins. Nothing goes unseen. Let's look at Revelation 20, verse 12. This is talking about the great judgment day after Jesus' return. It says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. That's, that's a scary thought, isn't it? When's the last time you thought about standing before that white throne, this, this holy God of perfection, who's going to judge you according to every single work that you've done? on earth scary for me all of my life's actions your life's actions good and bad he records them Israel thinks he doesn't see but God says no I remember it all it's all before my face a person or a culture that thinks that God doesn't see is going to run into sin after sin after sin. It's going to wreak havoc on them and their nation. God have mercy on our nation. God have mercy on you and me if we do not know and believe that God sees every single sin that we commit, that we're going to stand before him one day and give an account. Someone's going to ask, if you're talking to somebody on the streets, or maybe some of you in this room, would just say like, Ugh, I don't really like this God. I don't really like this God who's playing whack-a-mole with me. Like, got him, he sinned. <laughs> Have any of you ever felt that way about God? Maybe, yeah. Why can't God just get off my back? Why can't he just give me some freedom, some might ask. Maybe you had a dad or mom that was just constantly breathing down your neck and now you just, you look at God the same way and you think, God is trying to catch me in my sin. He wants me to fail so he can squash me. 
Why is God hovering over my shoulder? The answer to this question is my second point, guys. God takes sin personally. He takes sin personally. God takes sin personally because he made everything you see. He gave you the strength that you have. He gave you the eyesight you have. He gave you the the looks you have. He gave you the hands and the feet. He gave it all. He gave every resource that we have on the planet, planet for our good and to serve him with it, to love one another with it. So when we refuse to listen to the source of life, he takes issue with it. Verses 13 and following make this really clear. Let's let's look there. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They don't cry to me from the heart, but they well upon their beds. For grain and wine they gash themselves and they rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Do you see that? When Israel strays and goes to other nations, when they make Assyria and Egypt, the hope that they pursue for salvation, when they seek them for prosperity, for provision, their sin is against God. When they steal, when they cheat, when they are greedy, when they break the law, every single thing they do, even when it's, not against, even when it's against someone else, it's all against God, he says. It's against me that they're rebelling against. When you cry on your beds, when you practice these Baal worship things, when you're slashing yourselves trying to get grain and wine, get your provision, you're sinning against me. Verse 15, I think, is maybe the most striking verse here. It says, I trained them and strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. Sin is treason. Sin takes the gift that has been handed to us to steward, and what does it do? It turns and it uses it as ammo against the giver. Have you guys ever experienced uh, this with, uh, like, a, maybe your kid or a rebellious teenager might be a better example, but you take them to Take them to McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, whatever it is, whatever suits your fancy, and, um, you know, you buy them their, their thing, and you're, you're just watching them run back and forth between the playhouse and grabbing their waffle fry, and they're just having a ball, and then comes that dreaded dark moment where you go for one of their fries. <laughs> no! That's mine! That kind of stings, right, as a parent? Like, I'm not a dad, but... I've seen it. <laughs> Saw it this week. <laughs> how how painful is that to a to a parent? How painful is it to a, a parent of a rebellious teenager who says, I know better, mom and dad, I don't need you. You've given them everything they have. 
You're giving them all your energy, and instead of being grateful, what do they do? They turn, and they say, I don't need you. None of this was from you. There's no gratitude. There's no honor. The gift becomes ammo used against the giver. This is why God hates sin. This is why God hates your sin. And he can't just let it go. Because he is your maker and he's given you everything that he has. He is the maker of everything we see. Every person on the street Every person that we come across, he has made. Everything that we see is his, and he's given it to us to steward. It's not just us here that we're speaking to. This word is for everyone. This word is for everyone on the streets that we are committing treason against God, the maker of all things. This is what we see in verse 13. As a result of this sin, it says, Woe to them. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. Look at the flow here. Yahweh says, Woe to them, destruction to them, because they have strayed and rebelled against me. I think one commentator gets it right when he he explains this word woe like this. Quote, he is not so much pronouncing a final judgment here as deploring the miserable condition of those he is addressing. He, he talks about how the same could be said about Jesus and how he is saying, woe to you Pharisees, woe to you. And I think there's warrant for that when we look at him saying, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I, I've wanted to, to protect you and bring you into my arms. Let me continue with the quote. <laughs> their, wretched, their wretchedness lies not least in the fact that they are living in a fool's paradise. Their wretchedness lies in this fact. They are living in a fool's paradise, unaware of the misery that awaits them. The New Living Translation captures this well. It says, what sorrow awaits those who have deserted me? Let them die, for they have rebelled against me. As last week, Ross shared about the discipline of God, how he disciplines his, his own so that they will come to him, so that they will turn to him. Here, there is a sort of giving up, taking hands off, saying, destruction is coming on you, Israel, because of your desertion of me. Destruction is coming on you. If only people knew what they were asking when they said, I want freedom from God. If only people knew what they were asking when they said, get off my back, God. It's not freedom, guys. It's a death sentence for you and the whole world. It's not freedom to want freedom from God. Free, fleeing from God, sinning against God, breaks relationship with God and leaves you out of the care and protection of the most benevolent person that exists. This is God Almighty, the one who has created the earth and given you what you have. I was at the lake 
I was on a canoe, I was by myself, and I was, I was protected by this little bay, protected, it's kind of a windy day, and um, I just wanted to, I just wanted a little, take a little stroll away from the 30 plus people that were, that were there, and um, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to head down the lake a little ways, and as I started down, the wind just quickly grabbed me, and I was, oh yeah, this is nice, I don't even have to paddle, you know, and I was going, you know, not like really fast, but it was taking me down, the, down to the end, and I was really loving it until I turned around. <laughs> and I started going, and I was starting to wish, like, why didn't I ask Kate to come with me? <laughs> row, me row back up. Like, what, what was I thinking? And as I was rowing and, and hurting, <laughs> my arms were sore, I thought, I had this thought, this is what it's like when we jump into the stream of the world when we jump into sin's deceitfulness. Feels so good for a minute, right? Starts to take you pretty smoothly down that road. It's like, whoa, everybody else is here. Everybody else is doing it. This is great. And then you realize it's not so good after all. You've, you've left the protection of God. You've left that bay of protection and you've, you've just been driven further and further in sin. And when we say, God, get off my back, I don't want your discipline, what we're doing is saying, I, I would rather go that way. And I promise you, that's the way of death. That's what this is saying. Yahweh is saying, woe to you. This destruction is coming on you because you've deserted me, because you haven't turned back to me. At some point, brothers and sisters, judgment ends. Uh, sorry, discipline ends and judgment begins. Judgment doesn't have to be the end of the story. In verse 13, Yahweh says, I long to redeem them. ESV says, I would redeem them. NIV says, I long to redeem them. This starts, this section of, of Hosea starts a general theme of lament that you'll hear from Yahweh throughout the rest of the book. Yahweh is compassionately saying, I want to redeem you. Come back. This is really quite incredible, isn't it? When Yahweh has just told Israel, I see all your sins. It's surrounding you. I can't see anything but sin when I look at you. I've recorded every one of your sins, and on that day, you're going to see that I've seen every one. Not one thing is missed. But he's saying, I long to redeem them. This is incredible. This says a lot about God's steadfastness. It says a lot about his love, his pursuit of his people, about the covenant-keeping God that we have. They were utterly sinful. We are utterly sinful. And he is determined to punish them, yet he still wants to redeem them. This is so unnatural, guys. We do not, as the people, if we're ever sinned against, we typically don't go after the person that sinned against us and say, I want to redeem you. I want to get fellowship with you. It doesn't feel natural, does it? It's hard. But this is our God. This is our God. 
How is this possible? This is the third and final point. God forgets your sin in Jesus. Lest we misunderstand, hear me out. The answer to Israel's brokenness was a restored relationship with God. How would they overcome? How would they get this sin that brought them separation between God? Even, how would they even overcome their own dark hearts that wanted nothing to do with the light? King David understood this well. He, he uh, appeals to God's character for mercy in Psalm 51. I want to look there. Psalm 51 should, should be up on the screen. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He killed her husband, and yet he says, my sin is against you, God. Against you and you alone have I sinned. He suffered for it. His first, well, his, his son died that he had conceived with Bathsheba. And in his pain, after he realizes his sin, he says these words. Let's continue with verse 7. He says, cleanse me with hyssop, or purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David understood, unlike Israel, what he needed to do. David understood that he needed to have a contrite heart, a broken heart before God. That he needed a repentant heart. Even more, he understood that he needed, he needed cleansing. He needed God to hide his face from his sins. He needed God to wash him. He needed a spotless lamb. The Old Testament is full of this sacrificial system that God has given to Israel in which lambs would be sacrificed, spotless lambs, representing the sinlessness of the, of the thing. It would be sacrificed in place of the person so that the person would not have to face God's wrath, but God would pour out that wrath on the, on the lamb. And yet... David is still saying, I need you to create a pure heart in me, O God. I need you to renew a spirit, a steadfast spirit within me. I don't want to be cast from your presence. That's the, that's the place of death. I want to be in your care. Hide your face from my sins, God. Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love. This is the heart that God wants from sinners. This is the heart that God sees and offers salvation. King David was ultimately looking forward to a day when daily sacrifices would be done away with, when there would be the final lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. He was waiting for that day when his heart would be completely pure and he would desire holiness unto the Lord. Church, this came about in Jesus, the Jewish king, the Messiah. This came about when he broke onto the earth. Israel failed and continued to fail. And hundreds and hundreds of years went by and everybody was still in that same state. Oh God, cleanse me. Hide your face from our sins. Restore the fortunes that you promised to restore to us. Jesus shows up on the scene and he brings the kingdom of God. Family, I want to offer to you good news today. I want to offer to you the best news in the world. The best news for you and the best news for the whole world. And that is to tell you what Jesus has done for you. What Jesus has done to be able to forget your sins. Let's look to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. It says, this includes you who were once far away from God. (laughs) You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Christian, when you were far away from God, separated from God because of your obstinance, because of your dark heart, everything that we just talked about with Israel, when you had a list and still have a list of sins piled up against you for all of your life, you were separated from Him, loving your sin, God's steadfast love came in and snatched you from death. His sovereign choice, His love went after you. He went after after you. He plucked you out of the grave of your sin. Through faith in Jesus, God forgets your offenses and reconciled you to Himself. I want to be clear here. God, when I say God forgets your sins, I'm not saying that God somehow is not all-knowing, that He somehow, it's gone. No, God still is aware of them completely. He knows about all of them completely. And yet, when Jesus died on the cross, God considered those sins to be upon Him and not upon you. All the awareness of your sin remains just as strong and intense, yet God considers and thinks of Jesus as the sinner, Jesus as the sinner rather than you. In that moment on the cross, Jesus thought of you. He was there willingly. He was there willingly thinking of you, taking your sins there. And when God was looking on Jesus, he was seeing you hanging there. Your sins punished there. All of our sins have been punished in Jesus. Your alienation from God left you outside of his protection and care. You're plunging deeper and deeper, closer to death and hell. And Jesus jumped in front of you and he took that punishment. All the wrath of God was placed on Jesus' body instead of yours. 
He was given over to death by the Father so that you and I could have life. This is the best news in the world. Micah 7.19 prophesies this, prophesies this reality. I'm getting too excited. Ahead of my own words here. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Even more, your sins are not just forgotten. Even more, you were credited with, credited with Christ's perfect record. Not only does he not look and remember and treat you according to your sins, but he now looks at you as though you have Christ's perfect record. That's crazy! Oh! Jesus, glory to God, what mercy, what grace that would save a wretch like me when he looks on us and sees our sin, all of it, and yet he says, I'm going to put it on him instead of you, Daniel. I'm going to put it on him instead of you, brother, sister. Unbeliever, anyone in this room that is not trusting in Jesus, that's not yet sure what they believe about this gospel, I plead with you, take refuge in the Lord. You don't want to be fleeing from Yahweh. You don't want to be out of His care. You don't want to be trying to rack up your own record of good works. I assure you, it will never, never work. Not only can you not outweigh the, the bad, God's holiness says that every single one, only one sin demands your punishment. I want you to have this assurance that Jesus, God forgets your sins in Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the only cure. He's the only means to restore relationship with God. There's no other way. Islam will, will call people to pray and do the five pillars. And it's not getting them anywhere. Hinduism, escape karma, escape death through cycles, life after life after life of trying to get your way out. There is no escape. There's one way, and that's to turn your face to the God who is standing ready to redeem you. He's standing at the cross and he's saying, Come to me, I will give you rest. Stop striving! Come to me! This is the word for the church. This is the word for the world. This is the, word, this is the gospel that we remember over and over and over again. I want to offer three points of application concerning your relationship with God and the church and the lost world. There's this old Christian doctrine. It goes by this Latin phrase, quorum Deo. And it refers to or it means before the face of God. After we turn ourselves to, to Christ, those who are in Christ, this is actually a happy thing, right? We don't, we don't live before God in fear of Him or even try to hide from Him and, and, and just think that He somehow is not seeing our sin, but instead we live before the face of God happily. It means that, we, that all of our life is lived in integrity before a watching God. 
Each and everything that we do is either an act of worship or rebellion. In Christ, however, we're not fearing a curse since we've been cured by the blood and sealed with the Spirit and approved by God and made children of God. In fact, we've been empowered by Him in the Spirit to live righteous lives before the face of God. I was rehearsing the sermon and I had this sense that maybe some of you, one, one or some, maybe many, I don't know, have this weight of shame that's still hanging over your head. You think that God is somehow looking at your past right now and is punishing you, that somehow you can't get out, but he, is, he only still sees your, your sin. Be free. Jesus has taken care of it all on the cross. It's cast into the sea. You don't have to feel shame anymore. You can stand before the Father's face in joy. It's a happy place to be now. I'm spitting all over the place. This is a happy place. Be free. Let the shackles come off now. Be free. Free, free, free. Jesus took those sins. You don't have to have them over your head anymore. No more shame. If you're feeling that, I want you to talk to somebody and pray, for, pray with somebody once we spend some time in worship. Number two, the church. We fight our sin together, brothers and sisters. We fight our sin with help. This is the means we overcome. We fight our sin because sin spurns the name of God. We fight our sin because there's a watching world right now, and what, the way that we live before God says something about our God, doesn't it? If we live just like everybody else in the world, we're effectively saying that God is no different than every other, every other God, every other thing out there. We fight our sin together because sin has destroyed lives, families, children. We all know it and feel it personally. We fight our sin because knowing God and being in a relationship with Him is more satisfying than anything else this world has to offer. We fight our sin because we're promised that if we overcome, we will receive an inheritance. We'll stand before His face in eternity forever. Together. Amen. Lastly, evangelism. Guys, this is the message that the world needs we believe that everyone lives before the face of God and we are called as a church to leave the 99 and go after the one. Friends, we are the 99. We are the 99. Who is the one that God is calling you to? How are we doing? Where is our heart? Do we, do, have we been set free from, from this shame that we feel that God is, is hovering over us? Have we been set free in Jesus in such a way that it makes us want to run out into the streets, into the highways and byways and say, relationship with God is better than anything you're trying to get. Man, I hope that we do that at the night out. I hope that we are, are driven and excited to go out with Theo and his wife 
He loves evangelism. I hope we are excited to go to Powderhorn Park together and in our MCs to reach our communities, refugees, reach the orphans and widows of our city. Oh, guys, let's preach the gospel in our workplace. Let's preach the gospel in our context. This gospel is so simple. Sin breaks relationship with God, and it's really bad. And God is calling people back into relationship with him. He's doing it through you. Through you. Through you and me. That's our role, church. So let's speak the gospel, amen? Israel was like a soiled bride standing before Yahweh, her husband. Broken relationship was the source of Israel's curse, and they refused to stop sinning and return to him. All of us, like them, choose our sin instead of turning to, to face God. We loved our sin more than God, and the Lord kept record of all our sins. But according to his steadfast love, God made provision in Jesus so that our sins could be forgotten and relationship could be reconciled. God takes all sin personally. That's what I want you to, to be remembering this week. He takes all sin perfectly, but in Christ, he has made it possible to forget your sins. Therefore, we no longer fear to be in God's face, but actually, guys, we're waiting we're waiting for that day when we get to see his face. This is our great joy. For the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to worship. We're going to get before the face of God. <laughs> this is our great joy as, as a church, as we have been brought in, guys. And if, if you're feeling any of that shame, I want you to get on your face before God and lay it out before him. And he's just going to wash you. He's just going to wash you and say, no, I have cleansed you. I don't remember that anymore. I see Christ. If you, if you need healing in your body, get prayer, because there's nothing holding him back from pouring out that grace on you right now. There's nothing holding him back. If he wants to do it, he can do it in a split second, because you've been made a child of God. Amen? If you need any sort of healing, any sort of, uh, if, if you need to be with God, just this is our time to get with him. So we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper together. Remembering that we've been brought to the table of God. We've been brought into communion with him. So I'm going to invite Dale up here. We're going to begin our time of, of reflection. Let me pray. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that when I was a sinner, hiding from sin, hiding from you because of sin, broken relationship because of sin, you pursued me, Lord. In Christ, you forget all my sins. In Christ, you forget all of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for the good news. I pray, Lord, that as sons of God, in this identity, we would be those who preach the gospel, who confess our sins to one another. Lord Jesus, we want to see you. We want to know you more. So we, we sit before your face now. Come near us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.